The Being Boss book is officially available for pre-order. And you can buy it wherever books are sold. Let us know that you bought it and we'll send you some goodies. Just go to beingboss.club slash book for more details. Hello and welcome to Being Boss, a podcast for creative entrepreneurs. I'm Emily Thompson. And I'm Kathleen Shannon. I am Ezzie Spencer and I am Being Boss. Today, we're talking about turning your online content and expertise into a book with Ezzy Spencer. As always, you can find all the tools, books, and links we reference on the show notes at www.beingboss.club. So I want to talk about getting paid and more specifically, I want to talk about invoicing for a second. Now, I know a lot of you are running soulful, passion-driven businesses and bringing money into the mix can feel a little bit like a buzzkill, but it's not bosses. Making money doing what you love means charging what you're worth and FreshBooks Cloud Accounting is going to help you do just that. The software is built for creatives just like us. It's easy and it's intuitive and it takes the guesswork out when it comes to tracking your income and expenses. They've automated so many features that help you be more boss when it comes to invoicing your clients and reconciling your expenses. Try FreshBooks Cloud Accounting for free by going to freshbooks.com slash beingboss and enter being boss in the how did you hear about us section. Ezzy, I am so excited to have you back on the show. (laughs) (laughs) That is mutual. It's so good to be here. And there's some extra energy around you being here today because your book, as of recording this, Lunar Abundance, just launched. So that is huge. How are you feeling like the day after launch? I feel amazing, actually. And I wasn't sure how I was going to feel. So it's really nice to wake up and to feel, okay, cool. Yeah, I did it. It's out there in the world. And I now don't need to be a helicopter parent. I can just let it be whatever it is that it's going to be. (laughs) And you're in Australia. So do you feel like the day that you launched, do you wake up to just all this hubbub to like all these Instagram posts and people sharing your book and buying your book and just all the excitement around it? How is that? You know what? It's really weird with the time difference because it is the morning wake up that I get like this deluge that comes in overnight because that's the US workday. And so it is a very surreal experience. And I have to say, you know, I wake up and one of my little rules to myself is not to get onto the Instagram feed first thing. It's like, I've got to do my meditation first, but you know, I'm sort of sitting there going, Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Can't wait till I can, you know, roll over and pick up the phone and just to play online. There's a huge amount of excitement with the book, which, uh, it's just so fun. To, to play with that. Right. I always I, I feel like if there's ever a day to break those kinds of rules, it's your own book launch day. So <laughs> I I think you're forgiven if you did break your rule. <laughs> so Ezzy, as as we are in the promotional phase of our book and making the podcasting rounds, one of the questions that we're getting a lot of that I just didn't really think a whole lot about was, did you always want to write a book? And I guess some people have been dreaming about writing a book since they were five years old. Like, you know how some women dream about getting married and they can visualize their dress and, or, you know, some women know that they wanted to be an entrepreneur since they were really little kids and had lemonade stands. And I guess some people just knew that they wanted 
to be authors. That hasn't been my experience, but I'm so curious to hear from you. Did you always know that you wanted to write a book? Yes. Ever since I was really, really little. Okay. So tell us what that's like. (laughs) Well, do you know what is interesting is that I started writing my first novel when I was five, meaning that I started dictating to my very patient mother my first novel, which was a plagiarism of... That is so sweet. (laughs) ...that I was reading at the time. That's right. We've still got the yellow, you know, um, pad of paper, which is all tattered and falling apart now. But I really thought that I would actually write a novel. I thought that was going to be my first book. So in a way, I feel there's this sense of... um, I mean, there is this sense of of, of jubilation having a book out there because it has been a lifelong dream. But at the same time, it hasn't taken the form which I thought that it would because it's, you know, it's a nonfiction personal development book that I ended up writing at least first. So the novel might still be in there somewhere. Yeah. So that's what I was going to ask next is, you know, did you always know it might be about lunar abundance? But I mean, obviously, how would you know whenever you're five that your book would be about lunar abundance? (laughs) I, I definitely didn't think that I would be writing a book about the moon cycle that came out of left field for me. (laughs) That was, that was pretty late in the game. I've got to tell you, I was probably more as surprised about the whole lunar, um, the whole lunar world that has transpired in my life as, as, as anybody else. It wasn't something that I could have thought up for sure. It's something that just had to emerge naturally. And that's been the whole process of lunar abundance, right? From the get go, it's been, it's really been something that's come from my own, you know, feeling and intuition. And I followed the crumbs the whole way. Good. Well, and I I just want to point out here too, that we did do a full episode with you at this point, I think like two years ago, a year and a half ago or so. Um, I'm looking it up. Episode number 74 is where we talked with you about lunar abundance and what that all meant. But I'm excited to talk more about this book process because you did publish your book in Australia, I guess about a year ago now. And then now it's out here in the U.S., which is just a whole other like crazy big market for you. Um, And Lunar Abundance has taken several different formats, you know, for you, both from a personal practice into, you know, a training program and then a book. So I'm excited to talk to you more about the book. But if you do want to hear more about Lunar Abundance specifically, one, check out the book or two, also you can check out the podcast. But I mean, even from the episode to reading the book, I feel like the book is just so robust. Like I loved getting to hear your story firsthand whenever we got to interview you last time and kind of just scratch the surface of what it means to be in touch with the moon and and really pay attention to our own cycles of creativity. But the book is a whole other level and it really does feel like this little guide that I can pull open and make sense of. And it's just so comprehensive. It's so explanatory. It's so, um, it's robust, but also really easy. Mm. Thank you. It's just such a delight to hear you talk that way, because that was exactly my intention as I was writing the book, that it would be both inspiring and it is beautiful. We can talk about, you know, how what it actually visually looks like, but I wanted it to be practical. I didn't want it to be just another sort of interesting, esoteric, 
idea. I wanted it to be something that people could pick up, have on their bedside table, but, you know, pick up and be able to work with the moon cycle in a very practical way to affect real change in their lives, you know, create more creativity, um, you know, and create a better life for themselves, you know, be more intuitive, work out what it is that they really wanted to have in their lives, but be able then to know what to do specifically with the moon cycle in order to make that real. I had the most serendipitous moment too that I have to share. So I shared this with you, Ezzy, but whenever I was sharing this on Instagram, I was wanting to show my followers who are following me on Instagram the book and what it looked like. And I wanted to show how the moon phases were separated out. And I knew that the moon was a waning gibbous whenever I was sharing. And I turned right to it. And this was probably like, I don't know, three quarters of the way through the book turned right to the page and just little nods like that make me feel like okay there's some magic in here oh yeah yeah there's definitely magic in this book right from right from the get-go um you know right from the idea but then also the writing of it and then the publishing of it and the way it's taking its wings out into the world I'm in awe of the magic so I'm so excited to hear that story (laughs) Okay, before we really dive in, I'm curious to hear, is there anything that you wish you would have known before you wrote a book? Like now that it's out in the world, if you could go back, is there anything that you would change or add in or know about your process that you would change? And the answer doesn't have to be yes, but I'm just so curious. And I think it's probably because the phase that we're at right now with our own book is like, oh, what do I wish I would have known? Oh, it's such an interesting question. I feel like there's so many aspects of the book process which you could break that down into. And I feel like the writing process is the first piece. And I know that, you know, you lovely ladies are through that writing stage of the process. Um, but I feel like I, um, in, in, in writing the book, I feel like I did sort of bring into it this sense that it did need to be, you know, hard, it needed to be a struggle. Um, and I, I actually detached quite a lot from that and it was very intentional with the writing of the book and it, writing of the book ended up being a really joyful you know, easeful process. So I feel like that's the first piece is that you can actually have an enjoyable process with a creative project. Yes, it'll still be work, but it can also still be fun. But then I think that the next piece of it, which is the like the production piece, if you will, to the creativity piece, the production piece was actually a lot more work than I expected and brought more changes into my life. And I feel like I could have been a little more prepared for that side of things, but I feel like you two just have nailed it in terms of, you know, where you're up to. I know I've been speaking with you and Emily behind the scenes as well. And I feel like having a good sense of the time and energy involved in getting a book out into the world is really important. And I feel like because I have now, I wrote the book a while ago now, and with the US release, I was able to take the lessons from the Australian release, which is where I felt a little unprepared. And I've been able to put them into play with the US release. And I've had more of a lead time and I've been able to do it in a way which feels less squeezy. Um, so a lot of people, I think, you know, create their big piece of work and then think, oh, great, you know, I'm, 
that's it. I'm done now. But actually, that's the point at which the work often begins. And I wish I'd known that. Yeah. And I'll even point out, too, one of the things that I learned from being, from being you know, very privy to your your process throughout, you know, launching in Australia and then bringing it to the U.S. And then some other things that we've heard from some other authors and things that we've read is I feel like so many people, whenever they go into writing a book, really only think about, you know, life up until book launch day and they don't really put a whole lot of thought or energy into what happens next what do you want readers to do next what will it mean for your business what are your what goals do you have for this book beyond just getting the book out into the world and I know that for me watching you go through that process and watching you come out on the other side of it and you know you having the opportunities that you've had and all of those things it made me bring more intention to what happens after the book is out than I ever even like considered before because I was like everyone else and really just thinking about what happens up until that day. Um, But because of that, we've been able to put so much more time and energy and effort into what happens after the book launches. So I do appreciate being able to have have some insight into your process um, in terms of being able to really think about also what our book means for us beyond just the actual physical book being available for people on that day. Mm, Because the book is really a gateway to so many other things. And those other things may be things that you already have in mind. And then some of those other things may be big, bountiful opportunities, which have only come about because of the book, but which were actually outside your frame of reference whilst you were writing the book. Yeah, I'm so curious to hear from you. Like, what did you want people to do after they purchased your book? Aside from, you know, live with the cycles of the moon. What did you want them to do next? And what were you kind of planning on? Like, was it to have a group coaching program or to, you know, have like a reader's guide that people might, you know, buy into? Or have any other unexpected opportunities come out of this that you would have never even imagined? Yes, it's such a good question. And I'll speak to this mostly about the Australian release because the US release is so fresh. Um, But the Australian release was a game changer for me in many respects in terms of opening up those doors. But it also was a surprise to me that what I'd envisaged, envisaged the book would end up opening the door to actually changed. So by that, what I mean is that I had an existing online program, which I had been teaching for a number of years and was actually one of my main revenue streams. And so I was teaching the Lunar Abundance practices in this audio visual setting. It was a closed community. I had an online Facebook group, an online community. And when I was writing the book, one of the things that I thought would happen was that the book would be a gateway to that program so that people would buy the book and then people would end up buying the program. And yes, that ended up happening last year. People, A lot of people bought the book in Australia and then they went on and bought the program. But what I didn't expect would happen was that after running that program for three or four years, I started to feel like that program wasn't something that I wanted to keep running. So that was actually very scary to me because I thought, oh gosh, like I sort of wrote this book, not just to sell people into the program. That was not the intention behind the book, but I'd hoped that would 
be one of the outcomes for my business. And then I started to feel this sense of, oh, but hang on a sec, that's now feel the program now feels like it's past its use by date. Um, so I felt dis. Oh yeah. <laughs> Okay, I just have so many thoughts here. I'm glad that you mentioned this, though, because I've thought about the Being Boss book, and I can almost see why a lot of bands break up after they release their album. You know, it's almost like not because there were fights or anything bad, but there's this certain amount of closure that happens. And I feel like if Being Boss, you guys, Being Boss isn't going anywhere. Kathleen and I are not in a fight. We're We're not in a fight and we're not shutting it down. But I do feel like it's kind of, it's the equivalent of I could die today happy. You know, like there is a certain amount of closure where like, okay, I've said what I've needed to say and I've really concisely put it in a book where I can just say, here, here you go. But my other question for you along these lines is, do you feel like you put a lot of the content from your program into the book itself? And that kind of not, I don't know what word I'm looking at, lack of better words, like kind of watered it down, like not watered down the program, but did it feel redundant at all? Because I've also thought about this too, like, okay, can I turn what we've created in the book or have I just written myself out of a job and like people can buy my best stuff for $24, whereas they were paying me thousands before? Like that's probably my my like inner critic fear. Well, the program was different in that it had a lot of audio visual content, firstly, and secondly, it had an online community component. So there were those two different features to the program where I feel that it provided a lot of value. And that was definitely the feedback that I got from the people who'd taken the program, even after, you know, they'd read the book, they took the program, the program was more advanced, if you will. So um, I feel like it, it, it could have been an avenue for me to continue down and continue to deliver value for people. But I feel like the um, the big shift for me was that I wanted to have more direct contact with people. And I feel like there is, I'm going through a process now of rethinking the way that I'm going to deliver the material, the Lunar Abundance material, a more advanced offering. Because I think that a book is always going to be sort of the self-study option, if you will. And there's always going to be people who want more and want to have more contact and more assistance, I think, to work through the material. And I get a lot of requests from people about what does it look like, like after the book. So there's still definitely a desire for that. But I think for me, it was a personal shift where I just didn't feel as invigorated by the online community space anymore. I feel like four years ago, teaching in a Facebook group was a lot more um, you know, it was more revolutionary than it certainly is in 2018, but it was also much more invigorating for me. I loved showing up and teaching and holding space and connecting with people in the Facebook group setting four years ago when I started the online program. And that's really shifted for me now. I'm much more excited about real life. I'm much more excited about having that more high touch direct contact with people, which can be via, you know, Skype or Zoom or whatever, but it can be a more, uh, just a more intensive way of working with people at a more premium level. So that's what really shifted for me after the book coming out. And I just didn't expect that it would. That was a big surprise for me. And then I feel like, the 
Um, so I think part of that was an internal shift with me. And I think part of that was also a response to just the inevitable constant changing landscape of the online world, um, which is just, you know, it's different in 2018 than it was in 2016 when I was actually putting pen to paper with the book. Um, and so part of what I feel makes for a successful online entrepreneur is that we're very responsive to those changes, that we're showing up and we're providing a service or a product or an offering that is going to be of value to our clients in the here and the now and being able to shape shift and move uh, as quickly as we need to in order to 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 not just keep pace with all of the changes but to be a skip ahead and I feel like that's what Lunar Abundance definitely was when it started in the online program setting and and then it just wasn't um it just wasn't, it just wasn't exciting to me, um, primarily. But then the other opportunities that have started to open up again are more of the higher end, behind the scenes, in real life type opportunities, which I never would have imagined when I started writing the book. I just, my brain wouldn't have been able to stretch to, um, to, to the types of things which are now coming across my path, which is really exciting. Like what? <laughs> Can you share? Can you tell us some of those things? I suppose it's really two things. And um, I suppose there's three things. One is that I found that I love writing books. So I want to write another book. And so there's conversations going on about that. Secondly, I want to be on stage more and connecting with people in more of a speaking capacity. So I've been doing that, speaking to bigger and bigger groups and um, and working towards building out that part of my business as well. And then thirdly, it's more around doing some of that higher end consulting. So the more premium work, sometimes that's with organizations and some of it is with um, you know individuals at the top of their game. So that is really how my business is looking at the moment. And yes, I also feel like there will be some future online component, but I'm not pushing myself to try to get that structure locked at this point. I feel a sense of trust that that's going to unfurl in the right time, in the right way. I'm absolutely fascinated by this by this idea of almost even your relationship with the content that not only are you sharing, but like you created how your relationship with this content has changed over the years and how that has affected how it is that you want to deliver it. And I can absolutely see how it is that writing a book, because that's such a deep dive and intentional exploration of this content, how writing a book can cause the biggest shift in your relationship with the content. I'm fascinated by that because I also feel it now that you've like put it into words for me. I love it. I love it too, Emily. Like one of the things I think about is I used to think, okay, I need to know everything there is to know before I write a book about the content that will go in my book. And now, you know, after writing one, I'm starting to feel like the second book could actually be more of an exploration. Like, oh, I can become more of an expert or use the opportunity of writing a book to learn more about a certain subject or to learn more about, you know, my relationship with that content itself. I love that. And I feel like I, I was writing about a personal practice, a personal practice, which I've been doing for about a decade. So I thought that I had a, a pretty good handle on what lunar abundance 
was as I was writing the book. But what I found was that it changed me in ways exactly as you've just spoken to. It changed me in ways that I didn't expect. It was like it worked through me on a whole different level and it invited me to go deeper and deeper into the subject matter, to really learn it, to embody it so that I could stand up in complete integrity, I believe, and speak about this to much, much bigger audiences. And in a more permanent way as well, I feel like there's something quite ephemeral about online content. Uh, One is that, you know, when I decided to stop providing my course, offering my course in the way which I had been, I could just pull it. And obviously I'm continuing to deliver it to those who had purchased the course already behind the scenes, but it's no longer available for sale. And that was just a decision that I made. And it wasn't an easy decision that I made, I should say. Like I cried a lot when I made that decision. (laughs) You know, phoned a friend. I can imagine. I can totally imagine. We were just talking to another entrepreneur yesterday about, you know, being afraid of your own intuition and kind of tying that into the fear of success. And sometimes that means having to go down hard paths like listening to your heart and choosing to pull the thing that's making you the most money down. Yes. And that is so scary when you have that strong intuitive hit to remove a tried and tested revenue stream. This Being Boss episode is brought to you by 2020, where creative minds get authentic, real-world stock photos. If you're looking to engage with your audience in your next blog post or book, you'll have an opportunity to use trendy visual content to increase your sharing rate. 2020 has crowdsourced millions of exclusive photos from a community of over 350,000 photographers, all available under a simple royalty-free license. Today, they're offering listeners of Being Boss a five-photo free trial. To start yours right now, go to 2020.com slash beingboss. That's the word 20, then 20.com slash beingboss to get five free photos. Okay, I want to talk a little bit more about content and your creative process. I want to ask you, had you already been blogging about Lunar Abundance? And, you know, obviously you have this course, so there's probably some content in there. How did you go about, you know, taking the content that you had? Or was this all in journals? Like what already existed in the world that you were able to curate and put in the book? And then what was brand new? What was your writing process like there? Mm, It's a really good question because a lot of the content that already existed with Lunar Abundance was audio visual. And it was in my head and would come out when I gave live workshops and I worked with clients and I had an extremely active Facebook group for a few years as well. So that was really where a lot of the written content was because this was sort of before the years where you did Facebook lives and, you know, I'd be actually typing out lots of A's to Q's in, in, in the Facebook group there for a number of years. Right. And, you know, talking about the ephemera of that, it's like, how do you capture it? And if it if Facebook shut down or if your blog, if you forgot to pay your domain fees and it was just gone, you know, like I think that there is some value to taking some of the content that you've had and putting it to words. And the same with our podcast. It was like, OK, what have we been saying this whole time and how can we bring that to a book? And the permanence of the book feels really good. So, OK, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but tell me more about that, about you had it in your head. You had it coming out of your mouth 
in your content and in your courses. Yeah, I, I love what you've just said because I feel like that bottling process was such an exquisite process because I was living and breathing it. I hadn't realized how little it was captured in one place. It wasn't like I could point someone to one particular spot other than say by my program, which was, you know, the, that's where the, the most amount of bottling had happened to date. Um, but it was such a fun process to sit down and to say to myself, right, I have this chance to pull together all of the salient pieces of what it is that I've been teaching. And so I think there's like two elements of the writing process, which are really key. And one of them is the practical piece. And the second is more of the mindset intentional piece. So I'll talk about both of them because I think they were both relevant for the way that I created the book. So firstly, I feel like on that practical level, anyone who's been in a situation where you have been sharing your knowledge, like we'd be building up a body of work, whether that be in one-on-one client sessions, whether that be in workshops, whether it be on a blog, online program or whatever, you're in such a good place to write a book because you already have a good sense of what A, your message is, but also B, the aspects of your message that people are resonating with yes but also the aspects of your message that people find difficult to integrate in their lives and that can actually be a very juicy rich part to unpack and so it was very helpful to me because I had been teaching this and I'd had you know hundreds of women had gone through I'd worked directly with hundreds of women through the process already so I had a good sense of what it was that people found most interesting about what it was that I was speaking about. And specifically for me, that was, yes, setting intentions at the new moon, but also the yin and the yang elements of working with the moon. So how to get out of the push and the hustle and to be really able to rest into the feminine magnetism, drawing opportunities towards you. So I knew that people found that interesting, but I also knew that people found that very difficult to integrate in their life. And so it was really helpful for me to know the kind of questions that I had, the kind of challenges that people had after working with the material for months, Um, and then I could bake all of that in, like I could bake in, I could bake in my answers to questions that I could predict that readers were going to have. And again, I feel like this is just something which is going to be so valuable to anyone, any online course creator or anyone, you know, delivering a service. It's like, you want to write a book that's going to be valuable, right? You don't want to write a book, which is just for you or just coming out of your head. You want to be able to support your readers in a very specific and practical way, at least, you know, if you're writing nonfiction. Um, so that was the first step. The second piece, which was really helpful from that practical level was that I had an audience who I could directly ask. And I think that when we are working in the online space, we are very au fait with this idea of the survey. And I, you know, we also, as we send out the survey, what do people want to hear? We also tend to think that we know what people are going to reply a lot of the time. And yes, it's very validating when people write back and they're like, yes, I want to learn how to, you know, set intentions and work with the eight bases of the moon, which is what I was going to write the book about. So that was great. But people also came back with a whole lot of other questions, which I hadn't anticipated, you know, and I had hundreds of people reply to the survey and to ask questions like, well, why does the moon have the effect? that it does you know what's sort of the history of the of the moon cycle and you know all these other kind of things so I was able to bake that in as well you know I put in a couple of chapters in the book before I got into the actual structure of the book which I pulled from the course structure you know with the with the modules the eight phases of the moon were eight modules in the online course and so those eight chapters 
are in the book, one chapter for each one of the eight moon phases as you work throughout the whole cycle. But in addition to that, I had a couple of preliminary chapters which really spoke to a lot of the questions which I got as I sent out that initial survey. And I feel like what's so interesting is that, you know, I had uh, people say, you know, agents and editors, oh, I don't know about those first couple of chapters, you know, should they really be in there? Do they really fit? And I was able to say, well, you know what, they really speak to a lot of the interest that uh, is out there about the moon cycle. And so when the Aussie version of the book came out, one of the things that I got in interviews and in feedback was, gosh, those first couple of chapters are so useful. And, you know, they're not written like a Q&A, it's written as a narrative, but it really responded to what people wanted to know. So that was part of the process, like the creative process. Oh, and this is why it's so good to know your reader and to little literally be friends with your readers or to be hired by your readers. Because I, I think that, you know, if you haven't written a book, you imagine going into it and it's almost like the editor and the publisher are your mom and dad and you just trust that they know best, like that they know everything. And then you get into it and you see, oh, they're human beings coming at this from a very specific perspective and experience. I mean, yes, they have a grasp professionally of kind of books and what's going on there. But if I can tell them, our audience specifically is looking for this content and these are the questions that they have and this is what I'm answering so I can answer the questions for everybody so that anybody who picks up this book feels like, oh, she answered that question before I even knew I had it. Then you have that instant trust and that book that's being handed down from like friend to friend with the tabbed pages and it's just being read over and over and over again because people trust you and you're answering their questions. 100%. And when people read your book and say, Ezzy, how did you get inside my head? (laughs) You just know that you have created something which is really valuable and which will stand the test of time. And that's such a that's such a delight to be able to um, create something which doesn't just look pretty but which is also useful does get handed around I mean that's just I feel the um (laughs) I mean that's just something which I think every author aspires to um and there are very practical ways to be able to embed, embed that in your own creative process and so that you're able to get to that result rather than just hoping for the best. <laughs> right. Well, I just had the most amazing thought and I have to share well, it really quickly. tell us, Emily. <laughs> so think about like, think about whatever the internet came around. Everyone thought it would kill books, basically, Right. But how about the fact that the internet is actually making books better? Like, because we have the ability to store all of this content, all these various places, and really workshop it with people, and have it recorded and more or less saved, and give us access to, like, entire communities, like, in a flash to test content and get feedback, it actually helps make our books better, that kind of just blew my mind. 
Uh, this is such a good point, Emily, because I don't think we would have ever written a book if we hadn't been blogging and podcasting first. And so much of our content was sourced from conversations that we've had via the internet or even, you know, in our Facebook groups or whatever it may be, like being able to long term source content or even in the moments of writing going, guys, what do you need help with? Like what what should we be including in this book? Just the fact that we were able to use a tool that was supposedly going to kill books as a way to make a book that was that much more effective is amazing. Okay, so Ezzy, keep going, or feel free to respond to that as well, but I didn't mean to derail you. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I just think it's a great point because the volume of feedback that you can get on the internet means that you're able to pick up those themes so quickly and they become so apparent and you can speak with authority because you know your people and I think one of the things which is just so beautiful with a book is that it's such a great companion to anything that you're doing online because there is so much noise online now and if you are able to have that physical companion which sits on the bedside table of your ideal reader and then they can come and dance and play with you on your blog on your podcast on your instagram which is you know my current you know place playground of choice um it allows the book to be that living breathing um element of your work but then also your relationship with your readers and i feel like it's so exciting what the internet is doing for you know particularly print books as well you know and we're seeing that the sales of print books are going up you know and going north whereas ebooks are going south um you know at a time where i feel like we are starting to crave again that ability to have something tangible to touch it with our hands you know to to be back in the real world as well or at least have that healthy balance and relationship between the online and the and the offline world so for sure books i think the internet is doing amazing things for books i love that point okay so you were telling us a couple of practical things was there another um, oh, the the like kind of mindset thing. Yeah, there's the mindset thing, and I feel like the uh, intentional aspect behind writing this book was such a key part of the creative process that it's worth speaking to. I think that the marriage of the practical action, the yang, if you will, with the yin, the feeling and the intention, is key. Um, I feel like it is. In writing the book about the Lunar Abundance Practice, I applied the Lunar Abundance Practice to writing the book. And a key part of the Lunar Abundance Practice is setting intentions, but not just setting intentions which are um, like sort of strategic goals, not like I want to sell X number of books or whatever, but to really feel those intentions on that somatic body-based level. So to feel how it is that I wanted to feel as I was writing the book. And I wanted to feel a sense of joy and ease and flow, creativity and abundance as I was writing the book. And so I was very 
clear I tapped into that intention on that physical level. Like I really tuned in, well, what did that feel like in my body? How did that feel in my chest? How did that feel in my womb? You know, how was I getting grounded on, on the actual physical ground as I was writing the book? And as you know, as you're writing a book, it can be very, very heady. You can get very abstracted out into all of the ideas. So, you know, coming back into the body, feeling that sense of embodiment and flow was really important to me and to have fun with it. I feel like we forget that our creative projects can actually be really fun. So that was a big piece. I was going to say, I think that's something that we all have in common that we've been all told otherwise is that you have to slog through a book and it's just the hardest thing you'll ever do and it's miserable and you'll become an alcoholic through the process. And we had a really, really good time and going back to that internet piece and using the content that you already have to write your book. I think that this is and using your community and asking them what it is that they want to hear. I think it takes out some of the self-doubt or some of the guesswork around, is this even good? Because we have such an opportunity. I mean, obviously, Emily and I were collaborating along the way, but you have such an opportunity to ping what you're writing off of other people as you go to really see if you're hitting your mark. And so I'm curious to hear from you. Did, were, did you have someone that you collaborated with along the way? Did, did you share it with your partner or with your editor or even with your community a little bit? Or do you feel like it was all of that experience and knowledge going into you know, creating the content for the coursework and speaking to this and experiencing your own practice for so long that gave you that confidence and ease going into writing it? It's such a good question. And as you're speaking about how much fun you had collaborating with Emily about writing the book, there's a little piece of me that was like, oh, I wish I had a book. I don't want to make anyone feel bad if they don't have a writing bestie. (laughs) I want to write my next book like that. Um, I did feel that very organic flow between me and my community of of clients and friends. And so many of the people that I have shared this practice with have become, you know, really cherished friends. And I did have a a dear friend of mine, Rachel McDonald, read the chapters as I was sending them through. And because she was deeply involved in the practice she was able to speak to them it was not as an editor it was just as a friend and there was lots of cheerleading along the way so that was super nice I always encourage people when they are writing to have some kind of like beta reader or or someone um I didn't actually have a a publisher or an editor as I was writing the book that actually comes back to the intentional piece as well so I set intentions around how I wanted to feel as I was writing the book I also set intentions around how I wanted my reader to feel as they were reading the book and what I wanted my reader to do and I also set an intention around publication which is that I wanted my book to land in the maximum number of hands of the maximum number of readers who would benefit from it and so I really held that intention and I connected in with the elevator emotions around that intention of again like joy and ease and abundance and flow and gratitude and then I ended up um (laughs) I ended up hiring an editor to take a look once the book was complete which was which was great and the, the day that I finished writing the book and I sent it off to the editor in an email the next day I woke up and I said to myself I feel like I should be thinking about publication now that the book has been you know, gone off and now the book is complete. And I always had at the back of my mind that I could always self-publish. And I think that's a great option for authors in the modern day because it's so easy to self-publish on Amazon. 
But literally that next day I woke up and I had an email in my email inbox from an Australian publisher who'd seen that I had posted on my Instagram that I had been writing a book and she had said, hey, do you want the book to be published? You know, let's get on the phone and and have a chat. All right, excuse me while I pause this here and let you in on the exciting news. The Being Boss book is about to hit the shelves of a bookstore near you. Kathleen and I have taken years of conversations between ourselves and those we've had with experts and industry leaders here on the Being Boss podcast and have distilled them down into what we've found makes you boss into a book that you can read, hold in your hands, and share with a friend. And we'd be lying if we didn't admit that we have a big dream with this book. We want it to be a bestseller. We want every creative in the world to cultivate the confidence it takes to take control of their work and make money doing what they love so they can live life on their own terms. That's what our book is here to do, and we need your help to make it happen. If you want to dive into the core of what it means to be boss and support us while you do it, it's time for you to pre-order the book. And once you do that, let us know you bought it and we'll send you some goodies. Just go to beingboss.club slash book for links to purchase and for more information on how to claim your swag. That's beingboss.club slash book. Now let's get back at it. Okay, I want to talk about the power of setting intentions and really feeling them because I feel like this is everyone asks us, how did you get a book deal? How did you get an agent? Because usually you have to put together a proposal to even pitch to your agent. And I think that you've had this experience where it's been really easy and you've attracted the right people who get your vision. So Running Press is, we share that publisher, which is kind of wild too, because I feel like all of our friends now are publishing with Running Press, which is amazing. But I think it speaks to, you know, um, high vibes attracting like minds. And I think that that's happened with all of us, that we've all been running in those same circles and Running Press gets it. And I think that there is something to be said for, you know, this law of attraction and vibing at that level where you are feeling your intention kind of makes things a little bit easier. And you find that the right people find you who get your intention and who get what you're all about. So do you want to, do you believe in that? Like, do you want to speak to that at all? Like as far as just even attracting the right pieces of the pie to come along whenever it comes to getting this book out into the world? I mean, my whole life is run like this and I feel like, I mean, I have to believe it because this is how my business has grown. It's how every opportunity has come to me, which is that I set an intention and I feel in my body what it what it is that I want to bring into my life, what it is that I want to attract in my life. And I tap into those elevated emotions of gratitude and joy and how I feel as if I've already received it. And so when I set intentions, again, I'm not being really super specific. Like it wasn't like I wrote down, you know, I want, you know, this publisher and I want to get a book deal with this amount of money. I didn't actually get that specific. I think that you can. It's just that that's not the way that I personally set intentions. Well, and it seems like the difference between goal setting and intentions. And I think that those are kind of separate things. Like intentions aren't quite as measurable, right? I mean, at least that's the way that we do it over here is we're like, what's the feeling? And then sure, yeah, we'll set goals later, like once they start unfolding and 
We want to hit some benchmarks, but sorry, keep going. Yeah, exactly. So I think intentions and goals are really helpful. They can work together. Exactly right. And I feel like um, for me, though, the intentions have always been the most powerful piece. And so to tap into that intention of this book landing in the maximum number of hands, the maximum number of readers who would benefit from it, I was really focused on the service piece. And I feel like that combined with the fact that I was creating a good product which delivered value so I was doing the work as well it wasn't like I was just sitting there with um just in meditation you know up in the cave or you know out on the cliff you know I was doing the work as well and I feel like that's really important but it's it was the fact that I was able to drop out of the head and just sit and be with that intention about how I wanted this book to make a positive impact in the world then and how I wanted to feel, you know, and I wanted it to be abundant. I wanted to feel abundant. I wanted it to be financially abundant too. Like there was nothing dirty about, you know, the the money piece. That was a big part of it because I spent a lot of time and energy writing the book. I wanted it to pay off financially as well, and it and it has. Um, so I did. I was just so clear with that, with that intention. And then it was actually an Australian publisher who contacted me, and so I just saw the Australian and New Zealand rights at first. And then I said to myself, um, well, firstly, I thought, oh, I can still self-publish internationally. And then I thought, oh, wait, an Australian publisher wants this. I bet then there could be an international publisher, a US publisher who would also want this. So then I set that intention for it to go, you know, even bigger if that should be, um, you know, in integrity with the book and what it wanted. Because I am a big believer with any creative project, including a book, that it has its own essence and that, you know, it's... It, it, it's my job and it's a job as, as a creator to show up and be the vessel and be the conduit for that and allow it to be birthed through me. Um, and so I, yeah, set that intention about an international publisher and then that happened. I ended up attracting a brilliant agent in New York who I absolutely love and adore and totally gets my vision, as you said, and that was so important to me that she really understood what it was that I was creating with the book. And then she, um, she, she got me the publishing deal with Running Press and I've just been so delighted working with them. My editor at Running Press has been amazing, started doing the new moon intention setting ceremonies as soon as she got the manuscript. And I'm just over the moon with how it's all transpired. I'm so glad to hear all of that. I mean, and again, being able to follow you through the journey, I've seen how not like how easy you've made it because I certainly don't want to like discredit all of the hard work that you've done. You are just always so aligned with what it is that you want that you have no problem like disregarding opportunities that aren't aligned and really just moving ahead with what is. It's it's one of those, it's one of the things that I most admire about you and that I think is a really great characteristic of someone who is being boss, if I may, in that you know what you want and you're just going to travel right towards it and you'll be attracting things along the way, but you're also making the motions forward. It's it's such a good, such a good characteristic and one that, you know, I'm sure the Lunar Abundance practice has lended to in so many ways. Mm, yeah, I think that clarity about what you want is key and most importantly, how you want to feel. I think just being in line with your intuition and what feels so good in your body is is so important. And it's not always 
easy, as you say. So for instance, when I felt that it was time to close down my online program, it's like my brain was saying, this does not make any sense. Like you're making money from this. And I just kept on getting that intuitive hit that it was time to time to close it down. Um, and as you say, you know, I was actually I spoke to other agents before I signed up with the with the agent that I signed up to. And it's about cultivating that healthy discernment around who is going to truly get your vision and be able to work beside you to bring it into into form, into reality and in a way that's going to feel like really expansive and really juicy. And I find that whenever you have that clarity around your intention and what it feels like in your body, the easier it is to feel if there's dissonance between an opportunity that's being presented to you and whether or not you should take it. So you can feel, does this harmonize with my intention? Does it line up with it? Or is it not quite right? And it's so much easier to tell whenever you just take the time to go within and feel what that feels like. Yes. And with practice, that becomes easier and easier over time to just like click in. All right, I want to talk just a little, little bit more about um, creative process and content and because I think a lot of us grew up in a world of blogging and I feel like I'm hesitant to blog anymore because like you, I want to write more books and I don't want to burn my content. In fact, I remember working with Brene Brown years ago and she said she doesn't blog a whole lot because she doesn't want to burn her content. And at the time I thought, that's wild. Why wouldn't you just like freely share your gifts of knowledge when they come and obviously she's sharing more than enough with her talks and her Instagram and everything else but now I see the need to kind of reserve some things that you're thinking about to let them cultivate behind the scenes and maybe this is my own um, I'm growing up a little bit out of oversharing every thought that crosses my mind onto my blog and and really discerning what's worth saying. And I think especially as the internet becomes more noisy, am I just contributing to the noise by sharing how I'm decorating my office today? Or is this actually meaningful? Anyway, all of that to say, if someone is blogging and maybe they haven't created a course, because I think a course helps you structure how you're going to write a book even, or how you might direct someone through that because you've thought about it in the context of a course. But how might you um, recommend to someone how to organize their content if they've been blogging kind of like all willy-nilly and not willy-nilly? I'm not saying that everyone blogging is willy-nilly. I, I was. But how how what are the best ways to like really organize your content and discern, okay, what goes into a book and what's left behind and what does that look like? Do you have any advice there? Mm. Um, I feel it's such a, yeah, there's so many questions within that. I, I want to go in so many different directions. So firstly, I, I know I want to tell Corey to edit down my question. That was ridiculous. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That was like the most rambly, windy question ever. So take that in whatever direction you want. There were so many good juicy bits in it. No, I, I feel excited about that question. <laughs> um, so firstly, I don't blog anymore. And that's that wasn't a decision that I made. It was just I didn't feel enthused or energized by blogging anymore. But I loved blogging to begin with. So I blogged a lot, 2013, 2014, even in 2015. 
2015, actually, I blogged a lot for those three years and it was so useful for me to start to crystallize my ideas and to get a sense of what it was that people were really responding to and what people were interested in. And I think maybe Instagram to a lesser degree still plays that role. I feel like so many people have transitioned off the blog now into podcasts and and social media. Um, And I think that they, any kind of online writing will give you the instant feedback, which used to take you know, a long time of like market research, you know, or traveling around the country and doing live events to be able to uh, bring together. So I feel like if you are just starting out, then putting your words out where in whichever channel feels really good and juicy and enlivening for you is going to be the best first step to start to get a sense of what you like talking about and what people like to hear from you, and then to start to package that up into some kind of offering, which doesn't need to be a big online course. It can be, um, you know, a smaller digital product to begin with, because then you'll get a sense of what people will pay for as well. And there's a difference between what people will read online and what they will pay for. And to be getting people to bring out their credit card, even for a $20 ebook, you need to be delivering a solution to a problem that people have or you need to be painting a picture speaking to a desire that people have and to be able to show them how you can carry them along on that journey so I feel like going through that process which I went through um, before writing the book is so valuable in terms of working out what it is um, well, what is it that will go into the book in the first instance in terms of, 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 of general message? Um, because people will need to pay for a book, whether it be ebook or print or whatever. If you want to get a traditional publishing deal, you need to be selling your book to the publisher. So to get really, um, comfortable with the idea of sales is, is going to be a key part of that. And to get comfortable with the idea of working out that, just because people are interested in something doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to buy it. You're going to have to go that further step. Um, and that's excellent training, I think, for for writing a book. Um, and I guess the next piece in terms of structuring your material, I did this in a pretty iterative way. So my first online program, which I put out, I put out in 2013 and it had um, five modules and I spoke to five main topics, which I was really interested about and which I was teaching about at the time. And the moon cycles was one of those five topics. And so what was really interesting to me was that I did make sales of that first online program. It was a $99 PDF, if you can believe it. That was the format in 2013. I sold it through eJunkie. And I had a lot of feedback on that online program that the moon cycles was the most interesting piece. And I was like, well, great. Cause I mean, the moon cycles was the personal practice. It was what I was, it was what I was doing. It was what I was sharing. I was doing it in my personal life. I was already teaching it. So I got really excited that that was what people were interested in, in my online program. So the next online program I created was just about the moon cycles. But at the time when I put out that first online program, 
I had no idea that people would buy something on the moon cycles because people simply weren't doing it anywhere else. And so for me, it was a path that was really revealed to me by walking it. And so I feel like in terms of before even getting to the structuring piece, I kind of structure the online content. It's about trying to get really clear about what is it specifically that people want from you and what specifically are people going to pay you for? And it might be a matter of going through a few trial runs um, before you get to really nail that. And then once you do have it out there, be very responsive to feedback and in fact, be very active in collecting that feedback. And I feel that's something which I have done right from the get go and has been so um, helpful for me to end up refining what it is that I'm teaching because there's a lot of different things that I could be teaching. It's just um, that there is a real interest in this aspect of what it is that I'm teaching, at least at this time. And the way that I structured the different online programs, the Lunar Abundance Salon, which was the one that ended up making me you know, multiple six figures, that online program was very successful, um, was that I had really listened to not just the uh, feedback on the message in those earlier two programs, which I created, but I'd also really responded to what people found easy to digest. You know, the first program I had, sorry, the second program on the moon cycles, uh, was I had hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of video content. And what I found was that that was just too much for people. I needed to provide more pithy explanations for people. I needed to create an online community, which I didn't have for that one, which I created for the Lunar Abundance Salon. I created an online community because people wanted to have that online ongoing accountability. Um, they wanted to keep sharing their experiences and they wanted to celebrate with other people when their intentions manifested and they did find their soulmate and they did, you know, end up, you know, creating uh, a successful product in their business and got more clients and all those kind of things. So it was really an iterative process over time and just constantly like that infinity loop constantly going back to my audience not being afraid to ask what it is that they liked what they didn't like and not being afraid to evolve both the message and then also the structure so that I was able to find that sweet spot with people and I'm in it again right now you know as I'm as I'm going into the you know the Lunar Abundance Salon 2.0 whatever it is that that will look like I have ideas but I still don't have that locked because I'm going through this process of of seeking feedback and tuning back into myself and feeling what is going to be creative and innovative and what's really going to meet what people need right here right now. Oh, I love all of that. Because for me, it's just like another, it's, adds more strength to what I was saying a minute ago about, you know, the internet giving us the ability to make better books, where, you know, we did an interview with Maya Gaddy, and we'll include a link to that in the show notes for sure. But she talks about, you know, iterations of online programs, and how that's just part of the process and how, how, or I think what I'm getting out of this is that there comes a time with, you know, online content where you start as basic as you can to get it going with a $99 PDF that you sell via eJunkie and you iterate it time and again and you're just like you're tweaking and 
up leveling that content every time you do, um, every time you iterate until you get to a point where a book is an actual next step. And then again, like there's if the if the content is meant to continue, then you just iterate it again beyond the book. I think that's such a fascinating such a fascinating way to like again look at this content as like living breathing something that has somewhere to go and you're here to help it along that path and to to get it out to as many people as possible i'm completely fascinated by that and like you sharing your story because it's one that i see that we've done as well and i've seen lots of people do it taking taking content that's come from from sharing online crafting it into a book and then seeing what happens next yeah, and I feel like that is so important to have in our minds when we are creating huge bodies of work because I feel like if you don't have that expectation that things will continue to evolve, then you're setting yourself up potentially for some disappointment if you invest a whole lot of time and money and thinking to yourself, well, I'll just put everything else in my life on hold whilst I get this project or book or program or whatever it is out and then I'll be set you know (laughs) then I can relax (laughs) I love that you're saying this I have so many clients over at Braid Creative who say I want to do branding with you but first I need to figure my shit out and I'm like okay the branding process is part of you figuring it out as you go. Yeah, you never another, figure it out and it's you, done. <laughs> right. And you know, one of the things that my sister has said before that is that your content, like the content you write or the content that you're creating through your podcast or your book or your course or whatever it is, really does shape who you become. And, you know, coming full circle to my ideas around book number two, helping me explore who I want to become, it's like book number one, I felt like I needed to like really know it all. And then book number two is an opportunity to evolve and to learn something new through that writing and through that evolution. And so it is scary, though, thinking like, oh, this is going to be in print and I can't take it back. Like there's going to be a copy of it in the Library of Congress, it's done, you know, and there is that permanence of it that feels really good, but also no, it can still evolve. Like you can still grow. It doesn't mean that we've stopped here at book number one. I love all of that so much because, I mean, we're not done creating content. Like everyone is here creating content amongst us. And then there are so many people listening to this who are creating content. So I think, I think what, what I want to what I want to start wrapping this up with is this idea of just use your voice, create the thing, get it started and get ready for a very long journey <laughs> for sure. But one that will take you really deep. I mean, even Kathleen and I have even said we are much more interested these days and not like a hard rule, but generally in talking to people who have written books and not because we only want to talk to authors, but because there is this level of expertise and knowing that comes from someone who has taken the time and intention of taking everything about that subject and distilling it down into a book. I think, and not that writing a book is for everyone, but I think if it's something that you have the slightest inkling of doing, it will make you a better person by doing it for sure. Ezzy, what parting message would you like to leave with our bosses and our listeners? Oh, wow. Um, 
I feel like it is so important to continue to cultivate that deepening connection with yourself because in a world with increasing amounts of noise and increasing amounts of things that you can do, you're always going to have more and more opinions about, you know, the direction you can go down and you're going to have lots of people dragging you in different directions um, when you become more and more visible and seen. But I feel like the, the real path for you is going to be clear for you when you are able to deeply tap into your own intuition, deeply tap into your own body wisdom. You know yourself better than anybody else. And so to cultivate that self-knowledge and that connection with yourself means that you're always going to be able to walk the right path for you and your business and for really, you know, everybody else who's in your orbit. So work on that before anything else, alongside everything else. Amen. And where can our listeners find the book? So the book is called Lunar Abundance, Cultivating Joy, Peace and Purpose Using the Phases of the Moon. It's available wherever books are sold. So you can just Google it. You can type Lunar Abundance, spell it L-U-N-A-R, Abundance into the internet and it will come up. Um, You can go into bookshops. It's all across America. So you can get it in the print form, which I highly recommend because it is a living embodiment of the lunar abundance practice it's full color it's got like journal exercises it's a real experience um and you can also come over to my website lunarabundance.com slash book and i've got a link to the book there and if you come over to my instagram i'm ezzy spencer on instagram i actually post about each one of those eight moon phases which i work with in the moon cycle so that's an opportunity as you're reading the book after you've read the book if you're interested in the book come along and play with it in real time because it is that living breathing practice and I love hearing from people all around the world working with the practice how do you balance northern hemisphere southern hemisphere southern hemisphere how do you balance that are you ever like okay for those of you in the north or those of you in the south like how what is that hard for you well the moon phases is the moon the same everywhere <laughs> yeah oh my god this yes. is I'm so dumb I thought that I thought that, like, if it was full here, it's a new moon in Australia. <laughs> it's adorable, Kathleen. Oh, I love it. Do you know what? Same everywhere. I have that is the that's m- like my Jessica Simpson moment. No, you know what? That is the most read blog post I have on my site. Is about that question. It, that is actually the number one question that people have. So it is very, very common. Well, then we uh, we can leave that in, even though I look like a total fool. <laughs> Since everyone else is asking it too. <laughs> See, you you are just a voice for your people, Kathleen. It's just a different. It's just a different type. It's not foolish. Everybody wonders it. Dear listeners, you're welcome. I will throw myself under that moon bus for you. The service, the service. <laughs> but it is, it's so confusing because the moon even looks back to front. Like if you're in the northern hemisphere, it looks, it's reversed when you're in the southern hemisphere. So it makes perfect sense. But the moon phase itself is actually calculated by the moon's relationship to the sun and the earth. So it's a beautiful interplay with the. Okay, so if I'm looking at the moon... <laughs> And it's a crescent on the left side of the moon. 
when you are looking at the moon in Australia, is it a crescent on the right side? Exactly. A bit, okay. a bit how water goes down the drain in the opposite direction. Don't I go there. That. Okay. <laughs> Kathleen's <laughs> her mind's about to be blown. <laughs> I knew about that. <laughs> Let me take you to Australia one day, Kathleen, and we'll look at it together. Oh, yes, let's go. On, let's, let's go to Australia it. and look at the moon and look at toilets flushing. <laughs> Sounds like a perfect date to me, for sure. For sure. That's great branding for the trip. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. As the last but not least... What makes you feel most boss? You know what? I love meeting people in real life who have been working with the Lunar Abundance practice, you know, if they've read the book, you know, they've done the courses or whatever, and to hear what kind of changes that it has made in their life for the better. You know, people tell me like, oh my God, you know, I set an intention. I met my soulmate, you know, I have this much more sustainable way of living or you inspired me to write a book and now I'm doing the same thing. And I get such a huge kick out of that. I am so motivated by having that direct impact on the lives of, you know, clients or readers or whatever it is. That is my boss moment. Love it. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you so much for writing this book and making it beautiful and coming to chat with us about it. I loved it. All of it. Hey, bosses. I want to tell you about the CEO Day Kit. The CEO Day Kit is 12 months of focused planning for your business in just one day. So Emily and I have packaged up the exact tools that we've been consistently using for years that have helped us grow from baby bosses to the CEOs of our own businesses. Gain clarity, find focus, get momentum, prioritize your time, make better decisions, and become more self-reliant with the CEO Day Kit. Go to courses.beingboss.club to learn more and see if it's a fit for you and your business. We'd like to give a shout out to our partner, FreshBooks Cloud Accounting. You can try it for free for 30 days, no credit card needed, and cancel anytime. Just go to freshbooks.com slash beingboss and enter beingboss in the how did you hear about us section. Special thanks to our sponsor, 2020, who is offering our Being Boss listeners a five-photo free trial. To start yours right now, go to 2020.com slash beingboss. That's the word 20, then 20.com slash beingboss to get five free photos. Thank you for listening to Being Boss. Find articles, show notes, and downloads at www.beingboss.club. Thank you so much to our team and sponsors who make Being Boss possible. Our sound engineer and web developer, Corey Winter. Our editorial director and content manager, Caitlin Brame. Our community manager and social media director, Sharon Lukey. And our Being Counter, David Austin. With support from Braid Creative and Indie Shopography. Do the work, be boss, and we'll see you next week.